Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. So I am, I forgot to ask until what time do we have? Sunday's 10. Perfect. Okay, great. It is a privilege and honor to be here. So thank you so much for coming um, to Sunday School. I want to start off with um, uh, some scripture. I hope you don't mind. This is really um, the call that we have, um, that we have felt from the Lord as Jews for Jesus. Um, for me personally, um, as, a, as a young person, many, many, many years ago when I was young and had uh, a lot more hair, <laughs> um, as I was seeking God, um, this was the call that I felt and, um, and got from the Word. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, for the Jewish people, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Of course, these are the words of the Apostle Paul um, to the church in Rome. And um, notice that the Apostle to the Gentiles, right, that was... Um, the Apostle Paul's main mandate to go to the nations, but do you sense his heart for the Jewish people, for his own people? And today, this morning, um, what I would like to do is I would like to give you a little bit of a sense of what's going on with those people <laughs> that Paul is talking about, his own, the Jewish people, the people of Israel. Um, so hopefully you will see how these verses really apply. Some truly do have a zeal for God, and we'll talk about it. Some are, um, you know, completely ignorant of um, God himself. A lot are atheists or agnostics. Um, but one thing in general for most Jewish people is that they are ignorant and don't have the knowledge about Messiah Jesus, um, Yeshua, we call him in Hebrew. So let me begin by giving you a little bit of some um, background about Jewish people. So in the world today, there is just over 16 million Jewish people, okay? That is a very small number compared to whatever, six, almost seven billion people on earth, right? And um, if you look at them, um, different ministries and different uh, missiology, uh, research, and so on, um, I'm, I really appreciate the Joshua Project, and they, they say that um, out of the 16.097 million Jews in the world today, um, almost 15.5 million are unreached, okay? That makes it almost 96% of the Jewish people in the world today are unreached with the gospel. There are different um, surveys, different uh, research that has been done, and it's about 0.7% of the Jews today are believers, are evangelicals, are brothers and sisters. So that is less than 1%. This is how unreached our Jewish people are with the gospel. The country that has the largest Jewish population in the world today is the country of Israel. Um, just um, about 7 million Jewish people live in Israel today. Um, the census that had that 6.982 is a few years ago. So I'm assuming that with birth rate and so on, it's, we're probably just over 7 million. Um, recently, there was an extensive research that was done in Israel to find out how many Jewish people in Israel believe in Jesus. And the number is approximately 15,000. Seven million Jews, only 15,000 believe in Jesus. And those are the Messianic believers, right? Out of those 15,000, only 8,000 are Jewish believers. So let me say that again. So seven million Jewish people in Israel, 15,000 are the church, okay? But only about 
8,000 are Jewish believing in Jesus. So that's how unreached Israel is. Uh, by the way, so Israel has 7 million Jews, about 8.5 million uh, people in general. As you could see, most of the people in Israel, you're not surprised, are Jewish. Okay, but what about us? What about here? Well, here in the greater New York area, in metro New York, and of course, including uh, some parts of New Jersey as well, but definitely, um, you know, Queens, Brooklyn, which are part of New York City, of course. Um, there are approximately two million Jewish people who live in our neck of the woods. And if you look at Global Gates, Global Gates is a ministry that, um, that's focused on reaching down reach and doing a lot of research into it. If you look at their website and you try to say, okay, who are the unreached people groups in our area? Um, you will have fifth, you'll have a list of all those groups. And out of the top 15, 14 of the most unreached people in our area are different Jewish groups, different sects, especially um, among the Orthodox Jews. Okay? Let me show you. They live in many major cities around the globe, but remain one of the most unreached people groups in the world. Haredim, ultra-Orthodox Jews. They live in tight-knit neighborhoods and isolate themselves from the rest of society to remain faithful to the Torah. Haredi life is shaped by centuries of rabbinic law which instructs them in what they eat, how they wash their hands, and even which shoe to put on first. Strict gender roles define everyday life. Usually men spend their days studying Torah, while women earn money and care for their large families. Their community avoids outsiders, and because of a history of persecution and proselytism, they're especially wary of Christians. Still, a very few have encountered the gospel and come to believe in Jesus. They live as hidden believers within their community. If they tell anyone about their faith, they could lose their reputations, their livelihoods, and even their families. The Haredim are the most unreached of God's chosen people. They've been largely unknown, overlooked, and dismissed by believers as too difficult to reach. But they're not unseen by God. And God is doing something new. Believers have begun reaching out to love, serve, and pray for the Haredim. We need your prayer and support for this pioneering work. Will you help us reach them? They are the ones that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 10, verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They have an incredible zeal for God, um, but unfortunately that is all being twisted. And as the video explained, they are all about following the law, um, and the law today is a lot of what the rabbis interpret for them as the law. It's not scriptural. You know, they have external books that they really, that really dictate their life and what they're doing. And um, they are the most unreached, the most unengaged urban people on the face of the earth today. So if you look at any city, any big city, and you ask who are the most unreached, unengaged people group, if that city has an ultra-Orthodox Jewish community, like New York City, they would be the most unreached and unengaged. So when you look at that list in Global Gates that I mentioned to you, it's all different sects of Haredim, of ultra-Orthodox Jews. And frankly, I've been involved in Jewish ministry for uh, 23, 24 years. Um, I have met, we have the Jews for Jesus, not the only Jewish ministry that, that, that seeks to reach Jewish people with the gospel. And um, 
I served in Israel, I've led outreaches here in New York City. You get it that I got some experience in Jewish evangelism, right? I want to be honest with you, we are completely failing in reaching the Orthodox Jews. You know, it seems to be an impossible task, which is why I'm so privileged to be here. And you guys know that really the best way, the most important weapon of evangelism is prayer. Amen? Right? I mean, you think about the Apostle Paul, who was an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, right? Who had no interest um, in following Jesus. Actually, you know, he went to persecute the Jewish believers in Jesus, right? He went to imprison them and maybe even to stone them to death, just like Stephen. Remember the story of Stephen from the book of Acts, right? And it's very interesting that Luke mentions there that it was Paul, Saul, who stood there and watched the garments as Stephen was being, um, was being stoned. What do you think the, the churches, the early churches' response was to the terror of Saul, the Orthodox Jew who was persecuting the church? What do you think, what do you think they did? Come on. Starts with P, right? Prayer, right? Don't you think? Of course they were praying. They were probably interceding for this guy. And we know the story, right? We all know how miraculously Paul came to faith. It wasn't through um, amazing apologetics. He didn't go online and hear the silver bullet, you know, uh, argument, um, you know, how to interpret Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22 or whatever, right? It wasn't any of that. It was Lord, Messiah, Jesus Christ revealing himself to him. And I think that the prayer of God's people was keen, all of that as well. And that's what we're calling on our brothers and sisters. Would you please partner with us in praying for this most unreached, this most unengaged Jewish people, the Orthodox Jews. If you take out your phones, please do that. Come on, take it out. There's a QR code right there um, that will lead you to download a prayer, um, prayer booklet, um, prayer journey to pray for the ultra-Orthodox, the Haredim. It will also give you a lot more information about this community um, with its different, it's a complex community. You know, they've got different sects within the Haredim, the ultra-Orthodox, um, reaching um, ultra-Orthodox men is completely different than reaching ultra-Orthodox women, as the video explained. You probably understand um, some of that as well. And in this booklet, you, will, you can read about all of it. But really, the reason why I want you to get it is so that this will um, move you um, to pray. We need God's people to be praying for um, the ultra-Orthodox Jews. Um, I think that that's the key for them to come to faith in Messiah. And that was certainly the story of Moish. Moish. Um, you can see Moish, um, it's on your left, as an Orthodox Jew. And you can see Moish today, and you wonder, wow, what happened there? Well, Moish was raised um, in between Brooklyn and Bnei Brak. Bnei Brak is a city in Israel, the most ultra-Orthodox city in the world, pretty much the whole city. It's just outside of Tel Aviv. It's a suburb, but pretty much the whole city is just ultra-Orthodox. And Moish was raised in a, in a home. His uh, father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather, they were all rabbis. Uh, you know, uh, he has a long heritage of rabbis, of really big shots within the community. Um, he has a lot of brothers and sisters. He's one of 12. So he has another 12 siblings. And um, the family constantly moved between Brooklyn, where you spend a lot of his time, to Nabrock, and so on. And as he was, uh, you know, going back and forth and being raised in the community, when he turned 18, he got completely disillusioned, you know. And he said, hey, I had enough 
of this, of living this type of lifestyle. And then while he was in, um, in, in Israel on one of those trips, he decided that he's going to go to Tel Aviv, you know, and he was already not dressed as an Orthodox Jew. And long story short, while he was in Tel Aviv, he met a Messianic believer, a Jewish believer in Jesus in Israel, who pointed him out and kind of started, they started talking and had a brief conversation with him. But in that conversation, that believer pointed him out to a website, okay, a website where he could actually order a free copy of the New Testament in Hebrew. And Moish, the rebel that he is, decided to order that New Testament in Hebrew. Okay? Now, the website that, he, that the guy showed him, that the Messianic believer showed him, and Moish doesn't even remember the guy's name, but was our website, the Jews for Jesus website. And... And Moish contacted us, and, you know, when, when he contacted us, he was already back in Brooklyn, but that wasn't a problem for us, and we were able to deliver him um, the New Testament in Hebrew, and they started meeting with him secretly in Brooklyn, and this was over several years, and about nine months ago, um, Moish not only received the Lord, but also was baptized in a church in New York. And today he lives in Dallas, Texas, and where he's there, he's getting discipled, he's growing in his faith. No one, no one, no one is out of the reach of God. Amen? And how much we want to see more and more stories like this um, of Moish. One of the... Um, one of the events that have been most impacting um, on the face of the globe today is the war in Ukraine. Some have called it the conflict of our generation. Matthew 24, 6 says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Pastor Bobby and I have been talking just here, and we've kind of been reflecting about how it looks like, you know, we're not prophets, and, you know, but it kind of looks like we're getting closer and closer to Jesus' return, you know, and wars and rumors of wars, and this conflict of our generation surely does seem to fit in. And you know that Russia has invaded Ukraine. And then um, as they did that, um, almost two years ago now, that has had a profound impact on the Jewish community in Ukraine. Now, of course, it's not just the Jewish community. It's really on the whole country. Um, and basically what happened was is that um, a lot of Jewish refugees started fleeing, fleeing Ukraine um, together with, with other Ukrainians. And a lot of them ended in Poland as a temporary st um, stay. Some decided to immigrate to Israel, and the Jewish people, of course, and really all across Europe, in Germany, in Hungary. And then a year after the war began, because the men weren't allowed to leave the country, a lot of the refugees started coming back to Ukraine. And now mostly everybody is back unless you are able to leave with, um, with your families. It's a crisis. It's still happening. We need to pray. Uh, pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Pray for the brothers and sisters in Russia and Belarus. The church there is standing and speaking up um, against the war. But it's not easy. It's not easy. It's like if you're familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, uh, a German pastor who spoke up against Nazi um, Germany um, during World War II. We're seeing that type of situation today. Let me share with you this story of Svetlana. I was 
И папа женится. Было 10 лет, вот, когда началась война. Вторая мировая, в 41 году. На четвертый день начала войны папу забрали на фронт сразу. Все полностью евреи. И бабушка моя еврейка, и дедушка еврей. Как сейчас я помню, немцы уже в Харькове на площади Дзержинского, вот, значит, такое объявление всем всем явиться на площадь это был декабрь месяц первые числа декабря месяца едут евреи с саночками с детьми и до свидания едут и немцы объявили все драгоценности с собой что взяли большие машины Туда забрасывали в этот яр машиной, сгружают и в яр бросают живых и с автоматом стреляют. 20 тысяч евреев в этом яру расстреляно. Бабушку расстреляли в гробецком яру. Бабушку с дедушкой обоих. Да. А вы можете рассказать, что произошло полгода назад? 24 февраля. Вы помните? Конечно. Мы смотрим разбитые дома. Ой, ужас. Пригород Харькова. Вот, Мирепа. Лозовая. Ужас какой-то. Скажите, как Бог вас вел? Что вы чувствуете? Как вы себя чувствуете? Я вам должна сказать, во-первых, словами выразить очень сложно. Душевные чувства, они такие трогательные, если можно так выразиться. И, и я обращаюсь к Иисусу. Вот я могу, не могу, а ложусь спать. И говорю, Иисус родной, спасибо тебе за сегодняшний день, что ты мне дал его хорошо провести. Вот в этом я чувствую какую-то поддержку. И мне кажется, что он меня слышит. fleeing, being rescued after the Nazi occupation, and then about 80 years later, again, hostility, again, war. And we praise God for Svetlana. Svetlana is doing really well. And um, we're still meeting with her, and she's in the north of Israel, and she's with family, and she's safe. But there is a lot of people in Ukraine who are not. So we need your prayers. The church there needs your prayer. Um, I visited Ukraine, um, the first time I was there was in 2017. Then I was there also in 18 and in 19, so three times um, before the war. Since the war broke out to bring supplies and to support our staff there, um, I've already been three times. And every time I go, the situation there is worse and worse and worse. It's... Um, I'm not exaggerating when I'm saying it's a third world country now. You know, roads are destroyed, uh, infrastructure is, is badly damaged. We need to pray for the church in Ukraine. 
And we need to continue to pray for the church in Russia and Belarus to stand up and to speak loudly against this, this evil, you know. Um, so let's remember to pray for them. And continue to pray for Svetlana and for others. Um, we have uh, a lot of ministry that we're doing in Ukraine with our, ministry, with our staff there. Um, caring, loving, serving, bringing in food packages as much as we can. Bring in supplies and helping, um, helping the people there. Um, last winter, we were able to provide um, heating units for families in Ukraine. Um, you know, the winter there, you could imagine. And because of, um, you know, damaged infrastructure and not being able to have gas and electricity, so we, we got them some, um, you know, uh, wood-burning ovens, you know, stoves to kind of heat up the house as well. Um, and we're expecting the same need happening this winter as well, um, as you know that it's approaching. So we'd appreciate your prayers. And thank you so much for your continued partnership, because... Without your prayers and your support, this story of Svetlana would not have happened. So praise God for that. Lastly, but not least for sure, I want to talk to you a little bit about Israel. And as you know, that's the country that I'm from, the country that I served most of my ministry career in. And you know, the Apostle Paul talks about, um, about Israel in these four verses that, that we read, because frankly, most of the people of Israel and most of the Jewish people are ignorant of the righteousness of God, um, as the scripture says, and they are seeking to establish their own. Now, the Orthodox Jews are doing it by trying to follow rabbinical laws but, you know, most Jewish people are atheists, agnostics, and they really don't think much about God. God doesn't really play any part in their daily life. You know, most Jewish people are liberal. And most Jewish people in this country, you know, are, you know, they vote Democrats, right? The Democratic ticket. And that's not a surprise to you, right? You know Hollywood. A lot of Jewish people are in Hollywood, right? And you know what comes out of Hollywood. So that's not surprising. But God's heart is to reach all people and certainly to reach them as well. In the modern state of Israel, in liberal Israel today, Israel is the country with the highest um, smartphone per capita. In Israel, everybody is online. Everybody is on smartphones, tablets, and, you know, laptops. And that gives us a great opportunity to reach them with the gospel. And we have webinars and we have evangelistic websites and we do a lot online to reach um, Jewish people in Israel. Also Jewish people in this country, but in Israel as well. And you know, one of the things that you need to know about Israelis is that Israelis are completely ignorant about the Bible. They don't really understand it or know it. Sure, they, um, you know, in, when you go to first grade, you start studying the Old Testament scriptures, but you don't study it in the same way that we studied in Sunday school, right, or in a Christian school in this country. You, you know, they don't study it as truth and as it being the word of God. So when we come and we try to share with them, there is, there is a disconnect, you know? How would we bridge this disconnect, giving them um, a sense of the Word of God? Well, take a look, and we have a series of these type of videos. השמיים מספרים כבוד אל, ומעשה ידיו מגיד הרקיע. אלוהים מתגלה בטבע ובשפה הכתובה. תורתו מתוקה מדבש, אמר המשורר. ולחשוב שהתנ״ך נכתב בידי אדם? זה הרי מתכון לתוהו ובוהו. 
ניתן לסמוך על ספר שיש לו כל כך הרבה כותבים. נדמה כאילו יד נעלמה פעלה בהיסטוריה, והשתמשה בנביאים ובשליחים כמו בכלים, כדי להעביר מסר לעולם. חוט מקשר עובר מבראשית לכל אורך הכתובים, ומגלה את טביעת האצבע של אלוהים. יש חוקרים שהטילו ספק שהתנ״ך נשמר בצורה מהימנה לאורך תקופה כה ארוכה. אמנם, מעט מאוד יצירות נשתמרו בשלמותן לאורך ההיסטוריה, אך כשנמצאו מגילות קומרן, המסקנה הייתה ברורה. התנ״ך הוא טקסט מדויק ועתיק מאוד. צריך להיות נביא כדי לקרוא ולהבין את דבר אלוהים. גם לא צריך להיות מוזיקאי כדי להאזין למוזיקה וליהנות ממנה. התנ״ך נגיש לחוקר המיומן וגם לקורא המזדמן. משורר התהילים אמר, תורת אדוני תמימה ומשיבת נפש, משמחת לב ומאירת עיניים. אלוהים פעל באמצעות רוחו כמנצח על הכתיבה, ויצר את ספר הספרים. זוהי יצירת המופת של אלוהים לבני אדם. What do you think? This, um, this video, this animation video, um, really speaks to the core of an issue that we have, um, that we disagree with, especially with the rabbis and the Orthodox Jews. And this, this issue is so ingrained within Israeli society that most Israelis, even though they're atheists or whatever, um, you know, and don't believe in God and are agnostics, have that in their core. And they may not even think of it. And the issue is that the rabbis teach that the Bible, the Old Testament, wasn't written for everybody. You can't and you shouldn't just take it, read it, and interpret it for yourself. They say that it's only for the rabbis to, to teach from. Only the rabbis can explain to you the Torah, the first five books of Moses, or the Psalms, or the prophets, right? And they even say that a rabbi today can't even do it, but you need to go and first read and understand what the rabbis of old said. Right? That's why when Jesus goes and when he speaks and teaches in the temple, so many times the, the, the rabbis of the day, right, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they say to him, hey, you're speaking with one that has such authority. Because that's not the way that ra rabbis and Orthodox Jews speak. They always talk about, oh, this rabbi says this and this rabbi says that. You know? But we know that the word of God would never turn void, and um, we've had many testimonies of Israelis who have seen this video and have said, wow, I'm, I want to read the Bible. You know, I want to read it for myself. And when that happens for us, that's, <laughs> that's the best we can hope for. Read the Bible. Great. We trust God will reveal himself to you. So we praise God for it. This video, this particular video, we have a whole series of it. Um, you know, in Hebrew, on our website that we advertise, Google Ads, whatever. But this particular video was actually um, chosen to compete in the Israeli short animation um, competition for short animations and also long, but this was in the category for short animation. And praise God, it won first place. So <laughs> we praise God for it. We didn't expect it. We didn't, uh, you know, put it forward. But once they contacted us and said, hey, you should, you know, of course, we applied. And the animator and the producer of the video um, from our staff were able to 
attend there and give also um, a gospel testimony as they were presented the, the prize. So it's not exactly the Oscars, but we were really excited about it. Um, I hope you will come to the service. Um, in the service, I'm going to share with you a little bit more about um, Israel and about what God is doing in Israel, especially in helping us reach the marginalized in societies, those that are trafficked and homeless and addicts. So um, I hope you'll come and, and be with us there. Um, before I open it up for any questions that you may have, I want to um, tell you a few things. Um, I've got a table in the back that has all free resources on it. And um, I have this, this pamphlet that says, How to Share Jesus with Your Jewish Friends. Let me ask you a question. How many of you here know somebody who's Jewish? Yeah, that's a lot of you, many of you. And I'm not surprised. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you live in the greater New York area. So, of course, you know Jewish people. And I want you to pick up this pamphlet so that you can be encouraged. Maybe get some new tools on how to share the gospel with your Jewish friends. Also, I have another free pamphlet here that's called The Feasts of Israel. Right now, we are in the high holidays, in the fall feasts. Tonight starts actually the holiest day of the year for Jewish people called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. If you want to know more about it, want to know more about the fall feasts, you can um, read about it. This pamphlet has about all the feasts, including Passover, um, which is in the spring, but it also covers the fall feast, so you can pick that up and find out more. Um, I think that these feasts give us a great opportunity to reach our Jewish, um, our Jewish friends with the gospel. Um, you know, um, after the Day of Atonement, where they fast and pray, comes the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacle. And you just coming up and wishing them a happy Sukkot or happy Feast of Tabernacle will go a long way, you know. And I know testimonies of brothers and sisters that during Rosh Hashanah, which just passed, the Feast of Trumpets, the Jewish New Year, that by just extending their Jewish friends and colleagues or neighbors, you know, like a, a Rosh Hashanah basket or whatever, a Happy New Year gift, went a long way in building relationships and in um, bringing and giving a platform to share the gospel. So check out these pamphlets. They're free. You can pick them up. Um, yeah, and let me open it up to any questions that you may have. I wanted to leave 15 minutes for questions. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm going to listen well, and I'm going to try to answer your questions as precise as I can. And you said most Jewish people. So because most Jewish people are atheists or agnostics, like my mom, they may fast, but it's just a tradition. They don't really believe that they need atonement or that they're sinners. You know, it's just a tradition, just something that somebody, you know, did and something that we do, but there is no real significant to it because there is no eternal life there is no heaven or hell what happens to us when we die we just die we you know go back to dust whatever you know it doesn't really matter that's most jewish people i think you were probably meaning more the orthodox jews which make only maybe 10 percent of world jewelry and the orthodox jews definitely believe in um, atonement and the thing that's very special to them about the Day of Atonement is that if you read in the Bible, in um, Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, and about that day, and in Numbers, you know, about that specific special day, you get there the sense that during that day, Israel got a corporate atonement. 
you know. We don't really think about it because for us, it's all about the personal atonement that we get that's only available through Messiah, Yeshua, right? Jesus Christ who came, died for us, and rose on the third day. Only by faith we're saved, right? So, but when they read Leviticus and Numbers and the talks about this corporate atonement that's available on this one day, you know, and of course, it's all rooted in sacrifices. But we don't have a temple today, right? So what does God do? Did that God cancel this important day, the Day of Atonement? Was God surprised that we don't have a temple? They say, no, you can't really do the sacrifices. So God, the righteous judge, kind of looks at your good deeds and bad deeds throughout the year. And during this one day of the year, he sits there and he opens the book, the book of life. And he sees, hey, where are you, you know? And just to be sure that you have enough good deeds, hey, from that one day, if you will just fast and pray and afflict your soul, you know, as uh, the descriptions about the Day of Atonement talk about, maybe you will have enough good deeds to be written in the book of life. Some Orthodox Jews, some sects, Say, no, 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 you need blood. You must have blood. So actually, if today, if you could leave and escape church real quickly and go to Brooklyn, in some neighborhoods and in some places, you're going to find Orthodox Jews who take chickens and they butcher them and then they actually kind of swing them around so blood flies and that's the blood atonement just to make sure that we have something that will tilt the scale and so God would write us for this year in the book of life. But the sad reality is, is that if you go and ask Orthodox Jews at the end of this day, if they know that they were written and that they have eternal life, most would admittedly say, no, I don't really know. You know, I have a Day of Atonement coming next year, you know. So I don't know if that answers your question. A lot of mysticism in there. A lot of, oh, you know, God looking at our deeds. It's definitely a religion of deeds, you know. Not much grace in Judaism. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, it's the same situation that you have in the evangelical church today. You know, different believers believe in different things and keep different things, you know, also worldwide, you know. And in this country, I would assume that most um, evangelical believers would, uh, would celebrate and keep Thanksgiving and the 4th of July, right? But you meet an evangelical believer in Germany... They don't celebrate Thanksgiving or the 4th of July. Or What I'm trying to say to you is, is that when you look at Messianic Jews, Jewish people who believe in Jesus, you have a slew of different practices and religious traditions. Some Messianic Jews would keep a lot of the Hebrew Jewish feasts today. Some would keep it very strict like Orthodox Jews. Very, very small number of Messianic Jews would do that. Then there are some on the other extreme who don't keep anything, don't consider themselves to even me. They say, yeah, I'm Jewish by heritage, but none of that matters today. They don't keep anything. They don't do anything. Some do something in between. But again, it's very individualistic and very, you know, some do more, some do less, you know. Yes. So let me start with the first question. Hopefully I won't forget the second one, but you'll help me. Yeah, yeah. So the first question was um, about, was there an official announcement? Okay, now the temple is destroyed. 
and what do we do now without the temple? And these are the rules and regulations, correct? That's the question, yes. And the, the, the answer is, is that yes, there was, okay? And that time, and that came very shortly after the second temple was destroyed, okay? In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed, and the rabbis gathered together, just like we have different church councils, right? There are also rabbinical councils, and this was the Council of Yavne, where rabbis gathered in the city of Yavne in Israel, and they said, what do we do now that there is no temple? And that's where they came up with, um, with some of these rules and, and traditions. And, and, and as rules and traditions happen, you know, they evolve throughout the years. But that's when they started dealing, what do we do now without temple? This council, their biggest ruling was to change the focus of Judaism. Up until that time, the focus, focal point of Judaism and of Jewish law coming to all the Jews that were dispersed all throughout the Roman world and so on was all centered in the temple. And what they decided, they decided, hey, we're going to move that to the local synagogues that are all across the world, you know, 70 AD. That's when the Council of Yavne met, okay? So that was the first question. Second question was, do we have a video that connects um, Passover, the Passover lamb, to Yeshua and whatever? So this project of these animated videos is fairly new. I think we have about six or seven videos that are out there. We're working on one for Passover to connect it, but we're not there yet. You know, these videos, as you can see, are very high quality, you know, the script is very sharp. Two minutes, because as you know, the attention span of, you know, most seculars today, you know, you have to, you know, so you get it. So, yeah, we're working on it, but we don't have, I don't think we have one out yet. Yep. Yes. You heard that the Torah that the rabbis read has in it a lot of messianic prophecies that are missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, first of all, Torah refers to the first five books of Moses, right? That's the Torah. What the rabbis read is exactly what you have in your Bible. The first five books of your Bible, of first five books of Moses, is the Torah. And in it, there is a lot of messianic prophecies, absolutely. The rabbis don't look at them as messianic prophecies, as pointing to Messiah. They have different interpretations to them. But they read in the Hebrew exactly what you're reading in the English. In the weekly synagogue service, they go through in one year, in 52 weeks, every Saturday, they read a portion of the Torah, of the first five books of Moses, okay, of the Pentateuch. They go throughout the entire Torah in one year, okay? To supplement that, because the Old Testament is not just the first five books of Moses. They say the first five books are the most important. They're the holiest. They're the hardest to understand. But we also have prophets and writings. That's how they divide the Old Testament. The Torah, the prophets, the writings. On the Saturday services... They also read some of the prophets. They don't read them all, but they've divided it. They read about 90% of the prophets, okay? Here is what you're referring to. They do read the entire scroll, the entire book of Isaiah, okay? But they skip the forbidden chapter. They are not allowed to read in the synagogue in front of everybody the forbidden chapter. That forbidden chapter is that missing prophecy that you're talking about. It's not in the Torah. It's in the prophets in Isaiah. Can you take a guess which one it is? That's right, Isaiah 53. So that's what you heard, and it is true, and they do skip it. But if you go and you get an Old Testament in Israel, you will find there Isaiah 53, you know, so it is there in the book. They just don't read it out loud in the synagogue. Somebody else had a question. Yeah, right there.
Thank you so much. You heard that there was a law that was passed in Israel that forbids, um, you know, Jewish evangelism, proselytization of Jews. And let me just stop here and say that this is what happens with media. Now, I don't know where you heard this, but as Pastor mentioned, I travel around and I do this in other churches, and I know that this came a lot from Christian media, okay? And I don't want to judge anybody, but the truth is, is that sometimes Christian media is the same as general media, you know? And media likes to pick up on headlines or whatever. Here is the truth, okay? And I only have three minutes, so I'll try to do it real quick. Because the problem is, is that you understand U.S. political systems, because you live here, you know capitalism, you understand how this government works, or maybe how dysfunction it is, right? You get that as well. Well, Israel has its own system, and it's different, okay? It's not capitalist. It's a socialist country. It's a multi-party parliamentary system. It's not like England, where it's a parliamentary system, where you have two or maybe three parties. In Israel, in the current parliament with 120 seats, you have almost 20 different parties, okay? Every election, and elections in Israel happen very often. They don't happen every four years like they're supposed to because the coalition breaks down and you go to election. And every, you know, for the past, I think, three, four, five years, we've had like six elections, okay, where we elect a new parliament, right? The Orthodox Jewish parties in Israel, there is no separation between church and state or religion and state. So the Orthodox Jews have their own parties, and they try to come and become a part of the parliament, right? Part of what they always promise their constituents is that they are going to pass a law, a legislation that's going to forbid witnessing to Jewish people, proselytization of Jews. They have had that law for the past, whatever, 30, 40, 50 years, okay? Every time they do it, every time when we elect a new parliament, they bring it up and they say, this is a law that we won't discuss. It never makes it to the parliament floor. Why? Because Israel is a democracy. Because Israel has freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Same thing happened this time around. The question is, why did you hear about it? The reason why you heard about it is because of all the social unrest in Israel, because of the judicial reform that Prime Minister Netanyahu is trying to pass, because Israelis are going to the streets, because right now our government is the most extreme, ultra-Orthodox government that we've ever had in the history of Israel. That's why the media picked up on it, but it never made it anywhere, okay? So we still have the same rights in Israel as we did a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Wow, that was a long answer. I apologize. Thank you guys so much. I'm around. Be glad to get any, you know, if you have any more questions or whatever. Also, my email um, was on that first slide. I'll go back to it, and you can always just email me, and I'll be glad to, you know, answer any questions that you may have. Here it is. Thank you.